Take your Bibles this morning and find the book of Hosea. The book of Hosea, chapter number three. Hosea, chapter number three. Last week we finished up a sermon series, The Power to Change. And I have these, these thoughts that just overwhelm me and hit me. And then, man, it's just like, I got to run with it. Like, you know, I told Amanda one day, I said, I wish these things would hit me like two or three weeks out because I really want to promote and excite people and all that. But it's like when, it's like the Lord slaps me with something and like, you got to do this and do it now. And so that's what we did. And today, beginning a new sermon series that this is, I titled it, This Is My Story. You do realize that every life has a story. Every life has a story if you'll take the time to stop and read it. Every life has a story. How many believe that every life is valuable? Hey, can I say something? People are more important than anything you got going on. People are more important than the problems you face, the projects you're doing. People are important. In fact, people are so important that Jesus came and went to the cross for the sake of what? To die for the sins of people, of the world. And I say that to encourage us. Let's make sure as a church we embody that perspective and that reality that people are important. And if people are important, I'm going to speak to people. I'm going to care enough to see how people are doing. I'm going to care enough to invest in their lives. People are important. Look, every life that comes through these doors has a story. If we take the time to stop and read it, we take the time to read it. Every life has a story. You saw a video come out this week on the Facebook page. If you have not yet seen that, I encourage you to go watch that. It'll bless your heart, Brother Rick's testimony. We got more of that stuff that that we're producing that's coming in the days ahead. Um, if you would like to be a part of something like that and share your story, share your testimony of faith in Christ, what he's done in your life, um, how God's moved in your life, uh, let me know. Um, I will put on my uh, journalist hat, and we will, we will make it happen. I had a lot of fun doing that. Um, but more of that's coming to bless because I want to highlight in these days that seem so negative, I want to highlight what God is doing. How many understand God's still working in people's stories? He's still working in people's lives. And there's a lot today to get excited about. There's a lot today. There's more that should excite us than that should just disappoint us. You say, well, preacher, you you have no idea. Look, no, no, no. I, I have a lot of idea about the struggles and difficulty of life. But I also know how God can work in a perspective of a person and help them see that God is at work even when we don't understand it all. God is at work through it all. Hey, look, do we trust him or do we not? Do we trust him or do we not? You know, I I can trust him. And the Bible teaches us that. And so we begin this series today. This is my story. And and what I'm going to do throughout the next, I don't know how long this is going to last, for the next few weeks. I mean, I, I did realize this can go on quite a long time. When you start looking at the stories of people in Scripture. And today's story is... Hosea, this is my story. Hosea, this is my story. Look at Hosea chapter number 3 
and look at verse 1. Then the Lord said to me, now watch these next couple of words, go again, love a woman who is loved by her husband, yet an adulteress, even as the Lord loves the sons of Israel. Though they turn to other gods and love raisin cakes. So I bought her for myself for 15 shekels of silver and a homer and a half of barley. Then I said to her, you shall stay with me for many days. You shall not play the harlot, nor shall you have a man. So I will also be toward you. For the sons of Israel will remain for many days without king or prince, without sacrifice or sacred pillar, and without an ephod or household idols. Afterward, the sons of Israel will return and seek the Lord their God and David their king, and they will come trembling to the Lord and to his goodness in the last days. Let's, let's, let's set this up so we can understand what is taking place. Hosea's name means salvation. Uh, maybe write that down if you're taking notes. Hosea's name means salvation. That's important. He ministered in the northern kingdom of Israel. During this time in their history, outwardly, the nation is enjoying a time of prosperity. Things are, are flourishing and, and things are growing, but inwardly, there's moral corruption. There's spiritual adultery that is permeating the people. And Hosea is instructed by God to marry a woman named Gomer. How many understand that in your life and mine that often God's going to ask us to do things that doesn't quite make sense to us? You'll understand why this doesn't quite make sense the more we go throughout the message today. But he asked him to marry Gomer, and Hosea finds very soon his domestic life with his wife to be an accurate and a tragic dramatization of the unfaithfulness of God's people. During his he ministered for 25 years during this 25 years of prophetic ministry, or I'm sorry, 50 years of prophetic ministry. Hosea repeated uh, the echoes of the threefold message that God abhors the sins of his people. That judgment is certain, but God's loyal love stands firm. That's the message that he repeatedly taught throughout his ministry. Just a side note, it's interesting to note that the names Hosea and Joshua and Jesus are all derived from the same root word in the Hebrew language. The word Hosea, again, means salvation. The name Joshua and Jesus, they include the additional idea that Yahweh is salvation. So Hosea, as God's messenger, offered the possibility of salvation only if the nation would turn from idolatry and turn back to God. The first two chapters of this book in the Old Testament speak of Hosea's family, the restoration of Israel, and the unfaithfulness of God's people, and then the mercy of God. And in this story, when you have time, I encourage you to go and read this entire book on your own, but in Hosea's story, we learn... Uh, some powerful lessons about the grace of God that I think will help us this morning. I want you to notice this morning in Hosea's story, we see the call of God's grace. We see the call of God's grace. 
It says, then the Lord said to me, here it is, go again and love a woman who is loved by her husband, yet an adulteress. Even as the Lord loves the sons of Israel, though they turn to other gods and love raisin cakes. Now, here, here's a principle that we need to, to, to remember. Write this down. Grace will call me to some uncomfortable situations. Grace will cause me uh, to, to enter into some uncomfortable situations in my life. Uh, as I mentioned in the introduction, Hosea was instructed to marry uh, Gomer. Uh, look, look back at verse chapter 1, verse 2 with me real quick. It says this. When the Lord first spoke through Hosea, the Lord said to Hosea, now imagine, okay, let's put our imaginary hats on here and let's, let's be imaginative. I had a big imagination as a kid. Uh, how many understand that's kind of being, you know, that's going by the wayside today with, I didn't have technology. You know, I had to go out and make a stick, whatever I wanted it to be. Amen. I mean, I, we had to do all kinds of things to play, but uh, let's, let's use our imaginations this morning. Now, you're in Hosea's shoes. God is about to give you instruction, and here's what the instruction is. Lord said to Hosea, go take yourself a wife of harlotry and have children of harlotry, for the land commits flagrant harlotry forsaking the Lord. What do you think your immediate response is going to be to what God's asking you to do? I'm not sure what the look on Hosea's face was like, but maybe it was a look of confusion. I'm not exactly sure. But I want us to notice a couple of things about this call of grace. We see in this call of grace a portrayal of unfaithfulness. We see a portrayal of unfaithfulness. This relationship was characterized by infidelity on the behalf of Gomer and was to portray Israel's unfaithfulness to its covenant with the Lord. Now, let's make sure we understand this right here when it, Back in Hosea chapter 1, verse 2, when he says to take yourself a wife of harlotry, it doesn't imply that Gomer was already living a, a, a harlotrous or an adulterous lifestyle before she was married to him. There's nothing in the context that implies that she was. The Hebrew word for harlotry is used elsewhere to, uh, uh, to refer to uh, the activity of Israel, the people of Israel under the figurehead of a married woman. It was a, a symbolism to them that God put on them. The emphasis in the context of this message is the unfaithfulness that characterized both the Lord's and Hosea's marriages, not Gomer's premarital experiences. So essentially what God is asking Hosea to do is, look, you're going to marry a wife. Her name is Gomer. She will be unfaithful to you. She is going to sleep with other men. She's going to betray your trust. This command from God is understood better in that light. She's going to be unfaithful to you. See, Hosea's marriage with Gomer is a portrayal of the unfaithfulness of God's people toward him. We see a portrayal of unfaithfulness, but we also see in this call of grace a picture of unconditional love. I want you to notice a picture of unconditional love. Imagine with me the emotional stress that Hosea went through during the unfaithfulness of his wife. Having experienced this not in my, my own home, but in homes close to mine, I have an idea of the stress 
and the brutality of such a situation and the toll that it takes. Think of the heartbreak after heartbreak Hosea endured as he's done what God told him to do. He's been obedient to God. Hosea loved Gomer. He was a man of God. He loved his wife, but she was continually unfaithful to him. And then we see that God God charges Hosea to, in our text this morning, to go again. To go again and love a woman who is loved by a lover and is committing adultery, just like the love of the Lord for the children of Israel. He says, go again and love her. What is God doing here in this story? Notice it says, just like the love of the Lord. Just like the love of the Lord. You see, we live in a day, and again, it was a portrayal of God's people's unfaithfulness to him. And isn't it true that we live in a day of spiritual unfaithfulness? See, today there's a turning away from the God of heaven and to the things of this world and the philosophies of this world. And this verse says in reference to Israel, who look to other gods and love the raisin cakes of pagans. This is a reference to the delicacies served at feast associated with Baal worship. If you know anything about Baal worship, you know there was all kinds of sensuality and sexual sacrifice that was involved. So it was a wicked lifestyle. So there... They were unfaithful to God, and we see that taking place today in our culture. Can I stop and just say we're entering a season of life where it feels like people just decide that it's okay to neglect the things of God for the sake of vacation. For the sake of spending time with my family, I'm just, I'm going to skip church. I'm not going to worry about it. I'm not, you know, who cares? And it's just the summertime. And we live in a day where the summertime, God kind of goes on the back burner. Look, isn't that just true? He does. He just goes on the back burner. How many are thankful this morning that God never takes a vacation from you? Somebody say amen. I like what I, you know, one time, man, this just, I thought on this. Read in the book, if God was as faithful to me as I am to him, what would that look like? Maybe write that down and think on it. We do live in a day of spiritual unfaithfulness to where people are turning to other things other than God. Jesus said in John three nineteen, and this is the condemnation, that the light has come into the world. Men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. Look, it's true we live in dark days. It's true that men and women love darkness rather than light. Why? Because light exposes the truth. Light exposes the truth. Now, we live in a society where spiritual adultery is going around all around us. We pledge our allegiance to God, and then we do not give him our time. We're cheating on God with all kinds of other things. And this love God has for us is magnificent. It's amazing. No one could ever love us the way that God does. Isn't that just true? No one could ever love us in that manner. Yet we often continue to be unfaithful. God commands Hosea to look, go again and love this woman who is unfaithful to you, just like his love for the children of Israel. I'm thankful that God continued to love me even when I was unfaithful to him. And this morning, if your life isn't right with the Lord, he still loves you. He's not left you. He still loves you. We see the call of grace, but I want you to notice number two this morning, the cost of grace. We see in Hosea's story, not just the call, but the cost of grace. Verse 2, he says this, so I bought her for myself. 
with 15 shekels of silver and a homer and a half of barley. You see, grace will lead us to sacrificially give of ourselves. I want you to notice in this call, we see his willingness. Hosea responds obediently to God's command. How many understand this morning, it is always a good thing to obey God. It's always a good thing to obey God, even when it's unpopular in our society to do so. It's always a great thing to side with God. So I'm going to stand with God. I'm going to be obedient to him. And so Hosea responds obediently to the Lord's commands, no matter what questions were maybe flooding his mind, the confusion, the hurt he'd experienced already in his life. And look, let's stop and say this. Aren't you thankful God's forgiving? And aren't you thankful for the forgiveness we have through grace to offer other people in our lives that have hurt us? How many understand it's liberating to forgive somebody? There might be somebody in your life right now you need to forgive. It's time for you to let it go. We see his willingness to be obedient. He obeys God. He bought her back for 15 shekels, about the half price of a slave. One and a half homer of barley had a value of about 15 shekels of silver, making up the other half. What Hosea paid for to get his wife back is equal to about three months' wages, is what we understand that to be. The situation that surrounded the purchase in this auction here is, is uncertain. It's not known whether Hosea had legally divorced her. It's possible that Hosea, his wife, had become a temple prostitute or was perhaps the legal property of someone who employed her as a concubine or hired her out as a prostitute. What we do know is she was unfaithful to her husband. She had sinned against him and lived a wicked lifestyle, and God tells him to go and get her back. Go and get her back. Hosea was willing to be obedient to God. In this call, we see his willingness, but we see her worthlessness. Here she is on the auction block at the lowest point of her life. No one wants to pay more than the price of a slave for Gomer. Now, I wonder what she was thinking as it was obvious that everyone there thought she was worthless. That everyone there thought she was less than a slave. Then she hears a voice speak up from the crowd. And Hosea pays the price to redeem his wife. He had become the slave of her sin. What a picture. What a picture of grace this morning. We see here in the life of Hosea in this story of how he pays the price to redeem his wife in her worthless condition. Hey, isn't it true that sin always leaves us worthless? Sin always leaves us feeling worthless and lonely and abandoned. Years later, again, Hosea's name means salvation. Years later, the Savior of the world would come to pay the price and redeem those who were slaves to their sin. You see, that's why Christ went to the cross in this is love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us, the Apostle John said, and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Ephesians 1, 7, in him, in Jesus, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness 
of sins according to the riches of his grace. Hey, aren't you thankful that it, it, it doesn't matter how terrible or worthless you think you are? It doesn't matter how abandoned that you feel, how destitute your sin has left you, that Jesus will pay the price. That voice is going to speak up saying, I'll take it. I will pay the price for this individual. Jesus has paid the price for sin. Look, sin will always leave you wasted and worthless. You enjoy it for a season, but when that time passes, like Gomer, it will leave you discouraged and worthless. Look to my brothers or sisters, it doesn't matter how unfaithful you have been, how far you feel like you've drifted, you can receive his forgiveness today and restore your fellowship with Christ because Jesus has paid the price. You've been covered by his blood. Look in Hosea's story, we see the call of grace. We see the cost of grace, but I want you to notice number three, we see the commitment of grace. We see the commitment of grace. Look at verses three through five. Then I said to her, you shall stay with me for many days. You shall not play the harlot, nor shall you have a man. So I will also be toward you, for the sons of Israel will remain for many days without king or prince, without sacrifice or sacred pillar, and without ephod or household idols. Afterward, the sons of Israel will return and seek the Lord their God and David their king, and they will come trembling to the Lord and to his goodness in the last days. Write this down, that grace leads me into a life of devotion. Grace leads me into a life of devotion. After Hosea acquires legal possession of Gomer, the first thing he does is he informs her that her adulterous life is over. He tells her that her adulterous life was over. She would remain home with him, isolated from all potential lovers. Notice that final clause of verse 3. So too, he said, I will be toward you. Hosea was saying, look, that we are going to live in a devoted relationship to one another. The commentator Matthew Henry said this, this is a great picture of the covenant of God between him and returning sinners. That if they will be for him to serve him, he will be for them to save them. Let them renounce and adjure all rivals with God for the throne in the heart and devote themselves entirely to him and him only. And he will be to them a God all-sufficient. If we are faithful and constant to God in a way of duty and will never leave or forsake him, he certainly will be to us in a way of mercy and will never leave or forsake us. And a fair proposal could not be made. I want you to notice a couple of things this morning. About this, we see in the commitment of grace, we see surrender. That surrender is a commitment of grace. Isaiah told her that your days of living a lifestyle of adultery are over, and so too I will be towards you. It's amazing to think of Hosea's attitude of devotion, not just to his wife, but to God. See, Hosea was surrendered in his walk with God. We see that from the very outset of this book. As he's obedient to God, as God tells him what's going to happen. As confusing and as it was for him, he was obedient to God because he was surrendered in his walk with God. So here's a question to ponder this morning. Does someone become a Christian without surrendering their life? Does someone come to faith in Christ without surrender? See, there's a nonchalant approach today to the things of God that should alarm us, that should burden our hearts. 
It should drive us to our knees in prayer. Alexander McLaren said, One looks around upon a lethargic, a luxurious, a self-indulgent, self-seeking, a world-besotted, professing church and ask, Are these people on whose heart a cross is stamped? Hosea's story teaches us that grace leads to surrender. Luke 9, 23 and 24 says, If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me, for whoever desires to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what profit is it to a man if he gains the whole world and is himself destroyed or lost? So I think a question that you have to to wrestle with and decide in your mind today, have I decided to take up my cross daily and follow Christ? Am I surrendered in that fashion to my relationship with Jesus? Charles Spurgeon said, There are no crown wearers in heaven who are not cross bearers here below. Do people love this story like I do of the adulterous woman? I love this story as we see a picture of the love and grace of God. But, but in a lot of hearing people and preachers use that story, there's a fixation in the story of the adulterous woman on her sin. They, they get fixated on how she was caught in the very act of adultery. And they were about to stone her to death. They get fixated on her sin and therefore, and, they, they, and maybe they don't realize that, but they misrepresent God's grace. Because Jesus didn't say in his grace, neither do I condemn you. Have a great day. It's not what he told her. Grace called this adulterous woman to commitment. Can I tell you something today that grace does not give you the liberty to stay in your sin? Hey, that's not popular today, but isn't that true? Grace doesn't give you the liberty to stay in your sin. Grace doesn't give you the liberty to just kind of live life as you choose and how you try to make it out to be. It's not, that's not what grace, grace calls you to commitment. Jesus didn't say, neither do I condemn you. Because I'm gracious. Have a great day. No, he said, neither do I condemn you. What did he say? Go and sin no more. This lifestyle you're living, quit living it. Jesus called her to commitment. The question we ask a lot is, are you saved? Maybe the question needs to be, are you surrendered? Are you surrendered? There's not a person in this room that doesn't want to go to hell. I think, you know, it'd be ludicrous for someone to say, oh, you know, that sounds like a good time. There's some people I've heard that said, said that. Nobody in this room wants to go to hell. If you really understand what the Bible says about hell, as Jesus talked about it, nobody wants to die and go to hell. Eternal suffering, separation from God forever. There's no end to the suffering of those who reject Christ. Nobody wants that. They logically think about it. Nobody wants it. But I wonder, are we willing to give up our life here to follow Christ? Because that's what grace calls us to. He says those that lose their life will find it. I think the question needs to be, are we surrendered? Hosea provides us with a wonderful example of surrender. He was obedient to whatever God asked of him. 
Have you said all to Jesus? I surrender. I hope that's more than just a sentimental hymn to you. All to Jesus, I surrender. Grace calls us to commit our lives to surrender. But the second thing is grace calls us to surrender to not only surrender, but separation. To separation. Gomer's period here of isolation is a portrayal of Israel's exile when the nation would be separated from its illicit practices and institutions. They were moved out of that behavior, out of that lifestyle, separated from those things. They had, been, they had become contaminated with Baal worship and was failing in their devotion to the one true God. And after this period of isolation, Israel would repent, seek the Lord, and fear his goodness. You see, when we surrender our lives to Christ, it brings about repentance, a change of direction in our lives, this desire for seeking God and reverence for God. How many understand that for the believer, for the person who surrendered, the number one thing that matters in their life is what God desires for them and of them? That's the motivating factor of their life is serving him. The Christian life is a separate life. It's separated from this world unto God. 2 Corinthians 6.17 says, Come out from among them and be separate, says the Lord. Do not touch what is unclean, and I will receive you. In Titus chapter 2, verse 11, it begins, For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present age. Again, grace calls us to commitment. Looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from Every lawless deed and purify for himself his own special people, zealous for good works. Hey, look, how many have heard the term woke? Who's heard the term woke? Come on, you can lift your hands in church. It's all right. In fact, we probably need to lift our hands more. Amen? We probably need to lift our hands and worship and praise to Jesus more. Hey, look, can I tell you something? Look, you feel prompted to go ahead and raise your hands when we're singing. I'm just going to chase this rabbit for a second. You go ahead and do it. If somebody looks weird at you, smack them. I'm just kidding. Don't do that. Forget, forget what people think and worship God. We've got to get out of this stiffness. We need to get excited about worshiping God. Somebody say amen. Because he's been good to us. Hey, look, because he lives, we can face tomorrow. Look, all fear's gone because he lives. We ought to get excited about that. It's okay to raise your hands in church. It's okay to get excited about the things of God. That's welcome at Highland Drive. It's not looked down upon here. It's welcome. Now, what was I saying? I was talking about woke. Everyone in this room has heard the term woke. Can I tell you that wokeism is making its way into the church. It's trickling its way in here. There's woke theology that's starting to permeate your life, and it's trying to captivate preachers. Hey, can I tell you something? This right here is the authority for our lives. And for the church. Hey, but can I tell you that people are using this to come up with all kinds of crazy nonsense to try to get people uh, to buy their products and to pursue a life of, of what they desire for you. That this right here, they're using this. How many understand that every lie is trickled with just enough truth to get you captivated by it? There's all kinds of woke theology that's making its way into the churches. How many believe that God is love? Amen. 
And how many believe that's not all God is? Oh, that's not a popular statement today. No, we need to. You know, people say, well, we should have open minds. We should have open minds. Look, I like what Adrian Rogers said. He said, if you have an open mind, your brains fall out. I think people's brains are falling out all over the place. How many understand you can find any YouTube video that you want to find that'll line up with something the devil's trying to deceive you and make you believe about something? There's all kinds of woke theology making its way into your home through YouTube and and all the social media outlets that we have and all of this access to knowledge that we have today. There's all kinds of woke theology. I'll tell you something, God is love, but it doesn't eliminate his holiness. God is love, but it doesn't eliminate his justice. God is love, but it doesn't eliminate his wrath that is poured out on sin. It's okay to say amen right there because it's true. All kinds of wokeness. Look, we live in a woke culture where today that you're being trying to be forced to agree with all of the nonsense. And if you disagree with it, then, you, then you're just a hateful individual. Look, the Bible declares that, that, that sex, here's some more woke culture that's making its way into the church, sex outside of marriage. In our text, what did it say? That Gomer was going to be an adulteress. What is adultery? Having sex with somebody that you were not married to. Correct? Fornication still wrong. Sex outside of a marriage commitment, a covenant relationship with your spouse, has no place in the life of a believer. Somebody say amen. That's true. The Bible teaches it. But today we are being, from the woke culture that's making its way into the church, we are being told to just embrace all this stuff. Look, a woman marrying a woman is still wrong. A man marrying a man is still wrong. A man who thinks he's a woman is still wrong. A woman who thinks she's a man is still wrong. A person who thinks they're a dog is still wrong. You know, I thought about identifying as debt-free. It didn't work. I still got to pay my mortgage. Look, I'm being a little funny, but you see, look, the culture is trying. Look, you've heard me say this before, and I'm not saying it's being kind. The culture is trying to see how stupid people really are to buy into the nonsense when God has made it clear right here for us. It's very simple right here. He's laid it out for us. Now, can I, I say all that to say this? We're going to stand on the truth of the Word of God. I, your preacher, listen to me, is not buying into the wokeism of today. And I'm not going to, with God's help, I will not. I'm going to stand on the truth of the Word of God and preach it with all of my heart because I love you and I love people. And I want to reach everybody with the gospel. That includes the homosexual. That includes the transgender. Look, you might see me out in public sitting down with somebody who looks a little bit different because I love them and because that's what Jesus would do. Because we stand on the truth does not mean we reject them. We reject their sin. But I'm going to do all I can to reach people with the gospel of Jesus Christ. I heard recently about a a lesbian couple who's one of the spouses. She died suddenly and four children. We should have compassion and reach out to that family. Look, we got to love people. 
I do believe God is love, and that's what motivates my life. God is love does not mean I'm accepting of everything. It means I love people enough to direct them to the truth. That Jesus loves them, gave Jesus for them, can change their life, can be everything that they are looking for. Isn't that true? Jesus is everything in my life that I need. There's nothing in my life that has ever fulfilled me the way Jesus has. And if you're saved, there's nothing in your life that's ever fulfilled you the way Jesus has either. Look, grace calls us to a life of commitment. And that commitment involves surrender, but it also involves separation. Because of grace, I'm not buying into the nonsense. Hey, can I say this right here? The Old Testament's still relevant. Somebody say amen. Hey, I believe the flood really happened. There's all kinds of theological minds today. And look, I don't have the degrees hanging on my wall that they got on their wall, and that's okay. But I stand with the Word of God. Science doesn't drive my thinking. The Bible does. The Bible confirms it all. Look, we're called to be separate in our way of living, our philosophy. Don't buy into the stuff today. Look, where there's no separation, there's no surrender. Ultimately, there's no salvation. Grace calls us to commit to surrender, but also separation. And then lastly, grace calls us to commit to sharing. How many understand that we have the greatest message in the world to share with somebody else? We have the greatest message in the world to share with a man, woman, or child that needs Christ. In Jesus, we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Look, this is the message that the world needs to hear, and I have to ask you, are you sharing it with them? Are you sharing it with them? You know, when you start sharing, it's amazing. You start meeting brothers and sisters out in public that maybe you didn't know you had. I was in Chick-fil-A yesterday, and uh, there's a family there, and uh, one child, wife expecting another child, and I was going in to get... Tyler and, and uh, Hannah out of the play area. And we just got to talking. And boy, right away, as soon as we started talking, we realized really quickly we're brothers. We're brothers in the faith. And he said something, boy, I, you know, and, I, and I've heard it before, but man, I, it just it, it, it made me rejoice to hear this guy. He's not a preacher. He attends another church locally, helps lead a, a small group for, for young people in their church just excited about his faith. It felt good to meet somebody excited about Jesus, excited about living for God, raising his family to love the Lord. And he said, for years, I went to church. He said, I know I got saved as a 12-year-old. I know I got saved as a 12-year-old. I know that's when Jesus saved me. But he says, often in the church growing up, you get saved, and it's like, all right, you've arrived. You're now saved. But he said, there's so much more to it. It's great to be saved. But there's growth that has to happen. There's growth that needs to take place in people's lives. And here's what he said. He said, grace, or he said, God did not just save us from something, but he saved us to something. Man, that's, that's, that's good. See, God has saved us to something. And I can tell you that our calling in life, all of our callings might be different. But I can tell you that all of God has called every person in this room that is his child, that has surrendered their life to him, 
He's called all of us to share the good news of the gospel. All of us. That is a calling that God has put on your life. That is something he has saved you to. So I challenge all of you to build relationships with people. Look, and, and, and get to a point where you're not beating around the bush. You're asking people, look, do you know Christ? Do you know who Jesus is? That's a great question. That's a good question starter. Now, y'all may have heard me say, I asked some, some teenagers that one time in my neighborhood. I, they, you know, I know them, but not well. But say, so, hey, look, I, you know, question for you guys. Yes, sir. Who's Jesus? And it was interesting to hear their responses. Just open the door to have a conversation with them about faith and the things of God. We have an opportunity to reach people with the gospel. Grace calls us to commit our lives, to surrender, to separation, and sharing. Look, I get the terminology. We've heard it our whole life that Jesus is your personal Savior. But listen to me. He is, he's not just your personal Savior. He is a Savior to be shared with the world that we need to make sure we are witnessing, doing all we can. Look, eight out of ten people say they would go to church if somebody would ask them. That should motivate us to talk about our faith, ultimately talk about Jesus, but say, look, why don't you come to church with me? Eight out of ten say, I will come. Fifty percent of our community does not go to church. That should motivate us. That 10,000 people are out here that are unreached. Either they've been hurt by some ministry in the past and they're bitter and resentful toward the things of God. We got the opportunity right here in Lincolnton, not somewhere across the world. And I thank God for our missionaries. But how many understand this is a church plant? This is a missions church. That was planted almost 75 years ago for the purpose of reaching this community with Christ. Not make it, now listen, understand what I'm saying. This church does not exist to make everybody free will Baptist. Thank you. I'll wait for more. We exist to bring people to Christ. There's going to be much more than just free will Baptist in heaven. Say amen. We exist to point them to Jesus. To join his movement. Not just our own. And we got such an opportunity to share the gospel with our community. I want to invite you to stand together this morning as we pray. As you're standing, can I ask you, aren't you thankful for the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ? God didn't have to sacrifice his only son, but he loved us that much. Gomer provides a perfect picture for all of us this morning of how messy life can become, how we can give ourselves to other things, but yet God still loves us and pays the price to redeem us. Wow. Let's pray. Father, I thank you, Lord, for the message this morning. I thank you for the story of Hosea, his obedience, his faithfulness. Lord, I'm thankful for the picture that his story gives us of the wonderful grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Father, thank you for being faithful to us even when we're unfaithful. Thank you for loving us in spite of our failures and our flaws. But Lord, thank, thank you, God, for convicting us, for changing us, for moving us in the direction you would desire us to go. 
And God, there may be some among us today, they, they've, they may be, God, prayed a prayer years ago, but God, they can say, I don't know that I ever surrendered my life to God. I don't know that I've ever been all in in my faith, in my relationship with Jesus. God, today, would you convict them? Would you help them decide today to be all in, to surrender? To, I'm all in with Christ. I'm going to follow him. I'm going to take up my cross and follow him each day of my life. Father, I pray that amongst believers, God, those who have surrendered their life to you, God, I pray that you would just put, God, if it's just one person, that you would stamp them on our heart and our mind. Somebody, God, that we need to reach that's unchurched. Somebody, God, that we need to reach out to and, and be Jesus to them. God, I pray you would help us, Father, today to live our lives, Lord, committed to surrender, committed, God, to separation, but God, committed to sharing the truth of the gospel with a world that so desperately needs it. So, God, I just pray today and press on our hearts, God, who you desire us to reach and help us to be busy, be prayerful, making a difference. Father, I love you this morning. Christ's name. Amen. I'm going to ask you this morning if you want to surrender your life to Christ. I just encourage you to come to this altar. Do it now. Say, look, I surrender my life. You just come. Say, Lord, my life is yours. I'm surrendering it to you. I'm taking up my cross daily and I'm following you right now. I surrender to you as Lord of my life. I encourage you to do that today. Christian, I encourage you to get around this altar. Look, let's take that one maybe that's coming to mind that we need to share with. Let's take that one. Hey, look, let's pour our hearts out to God over them today in prayer. Let's ask God to empower us, to energize us, to strengthen us, to reach them with the gospel. For them to see Jesus in us in such a way it draws them to faith in Christ. I encourage you to bring that one to Jesus today. God's been so good to us. Let's serve him and let's bring him to a world that desperately needs him. Father, be with us right now in this time of invitation. In Christ's name, amen. I invite you to come, as Brother Eric says. All to Jesus I surrender to Him I freely give I will ever and trust
Brother Butch Helms, if you will, to close us in prayer.